Welcome to Wholeness and Holiness Podcast. Here we will deepen your understanding of human and spiritual integration so you can live the life of peace and fulfillment God has for you. I'm your host, Margaret Vasquez. I hold a degree in theology and am a licensed professional clinical counselor and certified trauma therapist. Join me weekly for practical applications of the spiritual life. No part of this audio is to be used as mental health treatment or clinical advice. Please see a licensed mental health professional for personal consultation. Hi, and welcome to Wholeness and Holiness podcast. I'm your host, Margaret Vasquez, and I'm joined again today with Coach Kelly Herman, who is with the last time, and this is our second show in the series, Faith Formation Through Athletics. And I'm so grateful to have Kelly back with us. We still have so much to unpack and was um, just super grateful for her wisdom and all she's sharing with us. As you know, our, the point of this show is really to help us integrate our faith and spirituality with our human everyday life. It is relevant and we need to, to make it so and live in a way where where we do that. So thanks for coming back, Kelly. So happy to have you with me. My pleasure, Margaret. Great to be here. So as you know, our, our topic for the day is, it's a broad topic, so much to say, the role sports can play in Christian character formation. So I know you have a lot to say just even about the title, right? So, um, so let me just like, let me give you the floor just with, with that topic and let you just- sure. Talk about it a little bit before I start picking your brain. Sure. Well, um, I mentioned this briefly in our last conversation, uh, how much JP2 writes about the opportunity to grow in virtue through sport. And we'll save that specifics of, of his writings for another day. But, um, but there's a tremendous role that sports can play in our formation. And, um, you know, there are just some immediate things that come to mind. Um, one of them that I, that was always a, a real put of point of focus for me. And I saw really important to the, uh, working of our team, to the performance of our, of our team as a, as a collective group was that of communication and, um, had to prioritize that and, and kind of redefine what is faithful communication. You know, um, our culture, uh, uh, accept so many things that are not virtuous, that are not faithful, like the concept of venting. Uh, you know, I would, I would talk to my players early in the season when I would talk to them about my philosophy and what I expected from them. Cause I think clear expectations are a key to, um, to accomplishing anything. And I would talk to them about communication and kind of, kind of point this out to them and help them understand that, you know, if you think that you're allowed to just vent about anything to anyone that is not faithful communication. And on a team that can be so detrimental. And um, I, I would use some examples and I would just kind of help them understand that um, if you have conflict, you have to either accept the scenario and really let it go and say, I'm just going to accept this because this is the way it is. I trust the person, you know, uh, I can, I can accept this situation, even though it's, it's problematic for me in some way, or I have to go to that person and seek resolution. So for a player coach or player to player, 
that's tough. We, none of us really enjoy confrontation. I don't know of anybody who really enjoys confrontation. Um, so that, that takes a lot of resolve to, um, take that step to reach out to say, Hey, you know, uh, teammate, we need to have a talk or say, Hey coach, can I come talk to you about whatever, you know, there's so many different levels of communication that can either be really positive for a team experience, um, or can be hugely detrimental. Um, another one is patience and the idea of accepting your role on a team. Um, I love to tell a story about one of the Penn state players that I got to know through some camps. I used to coach years ago. Her name was Kristen Carpenter. And I saw her as a freshman and sophomore lead Penn state to national championships as their setter setting a five, one. So if you know anything about volleyball, you know, that she was on the court all of the time. And she was just a really inspiring player, a really inspiring person. And uh, she was actually recruited as a Libro. She wasn't even recruited as, or a defensive specialist. She wasn't even recruited as a setter. So you kind of could imagine that by the time her junior year came around, she was going to be the starting setter. And actually she was replaced by a really great setter from Colorado, a left-handed attacking setter named Micah. Um, and, um, how did she respond to that? Um, well, I know how I would have been inclined to respond to that. Um, fortunately she responded much in a much more positive way and she was focused on helping her team and trusting her coach. And I'm sure there was a lot of communication going on behind the scenes to kind of resolve her feelings in that situation. And interestingly, Penn state, I'm a big Penn State fan. I have a lot of favorite teams. They're definitely one of them. A lot of favorite volleyball teams. They're definitely one of them. And um, Penn State did not win the national championship Kristen's junior or senior year. Oh. And, you know, can you imagine? I mean, you would have every reason to hate your coach, hate that person who took your place, um, just all kinds of, of uh negative feelings in that situation. And I'm sure there were some, I mean, of course there would be some, but from my perspective, sitting in the stands, it seemed as though Kristen really worked to resolve those because her senior year uh, in the national semifinal in Louisville, Kentucky, I happened to be there, um, uh, Penn state lost. And she came on the court uh, at the end of the match and her demeanor was that of a freshman getting in the game for the first time. She seemed excited and just ready to help her team. And so, uh, boy, you know, I think that whole season was a character developing moment in her life. And it was really fun for me just as someone who knew her, uh, through working these camps to kind of, to kind of see that and appreciate that and learn from, from her experience. Um, you know, Another one that comes to mind is um, from a teammate perspective, just wanting the good of your teammates. And that is a tough one because I want to play. I mean, I don't know of anybody who steps into a team experience and says, well, I don't care if I play or not. I'll just sit at the end of the bench and cheer loudly. <laughs> no big deal to me. Um, no, that uh, that's not how most people feel. Certainly wasn't how I felt. So, uh, with my, uh, incoming team every fall at Franciscan with my volleyball team, 
we would need to kind of talk about that. And it was interesting to see it work itself out because my players were uh, from all over the country. And, and so they, they didn't really know each other except for the connectedness that I tried to accomplish in the previous summer uh, via, via Zoom meetings, um, connecting them um, as having a partner, an upperclassman and a freshman partner, someone that they could specifically go to to answer their questions and help them get oriented and acclimated and those kinds of things. But when we stepped in the gym, it was all brand new. And, you know, we even wore name tags in the first three or four days of the season, just, just to <laughs> remember each other's names. And you could see in those first couple of days there, it's just difficult because I don't have a relationship with this person yet. So how can I want their good? How can I trust them? How can I say, I'm going to work really hard and push you as hard as I can and push myself. And then if I'm the starter, great. If you're the starter and I'm on the bench, great, whatever, whatever I'm, you know, I just want the team to win. So that didn't really exist in the first few days because there wasn't the relationship yet. And then as the relationship developed, you could see that trust and that commitment and that selfless selflessness begin to develop. That's not to say that none of my teams ever had any um, conflict or questions about playing time or roles or anything. Of course, that's a normal part of team play. But um, but generally, you know, I, I really demanded that they trust me and that they talk to me and be honest with me about how they're feeling. And sometimes we would agree and sometimes we wouldn't. But, you know, I just would always remind them there's a million ways to coach a team and I'm the head coach. I just have to pick one. I have to pick the one that I think is best. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not easy. And sometimes the choices are not all that clear. Sometimes it's just something in your gut that tells you you should do something at a certain time. Um, and, you know, selflessness is really an important one. I think we touched on this last time, just, uh, or maybe we didn't, uh, talking about servant leadership, you know, captains, who is a captain? What makes a good captain? Um, and for your captains to understand the, the idea of servant leadership. And it was always very important to me that my captains did, and they lived that out. I had one captain in particular who was just, uh, really understood that concept. And, um, it didn't matter what kind of day she was having. She was one of the first in the gym uh, everybody had jobs. There was no freshman do this or freshman do that. It was always those partners and upperclassmen and a freshman paired up because we had to set up our nets. We had to tape the floor. There was lots of things we had to do to prepare for practice and tear down from practice. And she was always there, not just doing her job, but stepping in to help somebody else with theirs. And uh, she was also someone who we'd have a, a lot of competitions in practice and the losers, or we like to call them non-winners because <laughs> it's kind of mean to call somebody a loser. Um, but the team that didn't win would have to do extra conditioning, like a, an intense three or four or five or six minutes of a specific conditioning. And Amy would jump in and do it with uh, the team that lost, even though she was most often on the winning team. And, um, you know, she just kind of was just the example of, of living out that character and the concept of servant leadership as a captain and no small uh, surprise that we won our first conference championship when she was one of our two captains and our other captain, Jackie, that year, very much the same way, very, very much the same 
type of player and the same type of leader. So, uh, so many, so many opportunities for uh, character development as we live out our lives as a player or a coach. I mean, you know, as a coach, uh, hopefully as a faithful coach, I was growing and becoming too through that process. Yeah. So if you're just joining us, I just want to reintroduce Kelly, who we introduced last time. She was the athletic director at Franciscan, the women's head volleyball coach, women's head basketball coach, had given up a D1 full ride scholarship for basketball to come to Franciscan back before we even had division three athletics and um, Kelly's coached and umped and refed and announced and everything else having to do with sports from the time she was knee high to a grasshopper and, um, and continues to do so in all different um, aspects and, and also authored a chapter in Coach them well by St. Mary's Press and now speaks on athletics. So thank you for for joining us. We're discussing the role sports can play in Christian character formation. So so clearly, clearly, Kelly, you think it can. You think it can. Clearly. I think so too. I just mm-hmm. might even just your your level, right? I was never um I was never a college athlete outside of intramurals or or city league or whatever or um, you know, what little league, like as a kid playing softball and yet like, it really doesn't matter what level you're playing at. It's the, it's, it, it tests you, you know, right. Just like you were saying before about, doesn't matter the size of the gym you're playing in. It's the, it's the size of the dog and the size of the fight and the dog, not the size of the dog in the fight. Right. Absolutely. I, I, you know, I just love to tell students now at Franciscan that our gym, when I was a student, what is now a gallery and, um, you know, back then it was an undersized, rather smelly <laughs> gym with poor ventilation, so but it didn't matter. And yeah. our competition was intense and, um, you know, uh, it doesn't matter what the level, it really doesn't matter, uh, where you are. Uh, it really just matters, um, about your desire to perform, to play, to win, to grow, to get better to um, create a new personal record, you know, a new PR every time you go out, whatever it is, there's a, doesn't matter where you are. Uh, competition is competition. Yeah. That giving your all, right. That's the heart of, of living our faith. And that's what sports brings us to ideally. Right. And so, mm-hmm. so, so for, um, so let's have a question here. Are there specific character or faith lessons that you as a coach look to teach through the season? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I think I would start with um, being a model. You know, I try to model uh, hard work. I try to model investment. I try to ma- model sacrifice. I try to model commitment. Uh, I try to mile, model right and honest communication. You know, um, I think that as a coach, uh, kids know if you're phony, (laughs) you know, they want to see you live in it. And that's not to ever imply that I'm perfect at any of those things. Um, But like you said, striving, you know, we're always trying to uh, make our best better. And so um, I was always trying to be an example. And um, sometimes when I was doing things to serve my team, my husband would say, you know, Cal, uh, other coaches don't do that. 
you know, like, uh, I'll give you an example. Um, I would do their laundry. Now, the reason I did their laundry was I for starters. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, for starters, we had, um, one year we had uniforms, volleyball uniforms that would snag so easily. And we also had white uniforms and I wanted them to stay white. And I wanted everybody's uniform to be the same white. And um, so I, I, I in part did that because um, I wanted to be frugal. I didn't want to waste the university's money. I didn't want to buy uniforms if I didn't have to. And so I wanted to take really good care of what we had. And, you know, I believe, I, I always believed at Franciscan that uh, the charism of being Franciscan should be a charism of everything at, about Franciscan and athletics shouldn't be an exception to that. So I tried to take that seriously. So I wanted to really take care of the uniforms. So that is, is one of the reasons why I took the uniforms home. Um, I also then took a laundry basket home with their laundry every night, their volleyball laundry, because, um, and I learned this from coach John Wooden, basketball coach, very famous basketball coach from UCLA. Um, I wanted them to dress specifically alike, like a team. We didn't wear different colored headbands. We didn't wear different colored socks. We didn't wear, um, um, funny things around our wrist or have, um, or one, one player have, you know, long spandex, one person have short, or, you know, sometimes you even see now basketball players, they have long spandex, but only one leg is long, long and the other one is cut off. I'm still trying to figure out that one, but you know, whatever. Um, but maybe, maybe I'm old school, but I would tell my team, we're going to look like a team. And if you want to stand out, you're going to stand out in the way you play and the way you perform. And so, um, so, so even in practice, we dressed the same and I was specific about how they had to dress. So I figured these women are working really hard. It's not hard for me to take a basket of laundry home and do a load or two for practice the next day. And they've got to do their laundry in the dorm. They got to pay money. Um, you know, I was even specific about things like, uh, don't, wear anything but a white sports bra under our white jersey and if you do you won't play and uh i don't need to see your underclothes they're called underclothes because they're meant to be under so kind of makes me sad uh from a modesty perspective when you see uh, women or student athletes wear you know for example like a bright fluorescent orange sports bra under a white jersey and you can see it practically like they're not wearing their jersey um, you know, and that's a cultural thing. The culture is telling them that's fine. That's okay. And so, you know, I'm not judging anybody who does that because, uh, uh, it's tough navigating the culture and, uh, trying to figure out what is true and what is godly in this culture that we're in. But, um, but because I, I, you know, required the women to wear specifically matching, uh, for practices and games, I would take their laundry home and, um, I figured if I could just, if I could just make one thing a little easier on them, um, something they didn't have to worry about for practice the next day, then why not? And so my husband would say, you know, other people don't do this. And I just had a simple answer for that. And that is, um, I'm going to do what God calls me to do. And I, I have no comment about what God calls somebody else to do. That's their, that's, that's between them and God. And I felt like for me to serve my team and model that was crucial. And so if I could serve them in that way, great. 
you know, if it made their life easier and if it made them smell better when they were standing next to me, practice, good for me too. So, um, so, you know, that the kind of aspect of, of, yes. Yeah. Yep. So, um, so, um, wanting each other's good is an interesting one too, because, um, you got to be able to celebrate someone else's successes, even if it means you're standing on the sideline, not getting the opportunity. And, um, that's a tough one. And, um, um, one that we're always working on, like, you know, uh, even in my old age of 57 now, that's one that I'm still working on. It's hard not to be jealous of people in different situations or, you know, just, uh, covet what somebody else has, uh, materially or in their experience. And, um, you know, the, I think the purest gift you can give as a teammate is to um, wholeheartedly celebrate your team's success, even if you have a limited role in that success. Meaning, you're standing on the sideline. Not that, not that um, that role is all that limited. Because you know, I've coached teams where we've had nine healthy players, and I've coached teams where we've had twenty some healthy players. You need them all, and the more you have, the better. And so everybody has an important role. There was one player that I coached and then she was later an assistant for me. Her name is Julie and she was injured for much of her career. And I remember one year we gave her a team award because she was on the sidelines injured. This was her junior year. She chose not to play her senior year. If I recall, I think this was her junior year. And um, man, she was the most fired up teammate wow. you would ever hope to see. And she had no hope of playing. She had a bad knee. She was, she was going to be a fixture on the sidelines and, um, you know, so cool that she could have that selfless attitude. Wow. And she still traveled with the team and everything was, everything right. was there for every practice doing absolutely everything. And then later she become, became my assistant coach. And that was a joy to coach with her. Wow. That's fantastic. Wow. So, so just to kind of review here, some of, the, some of the lessons, hard work, investment, commitment, right and honest communication, servanthood. And I look at it kind of like unity through the humility of not trying to stand out, but kind of mm-hmm. we're looking to be one and modesty that goes along mm-hmm. with that. So, so obviously yeah. a lot of characteristics just kind of bubbles readily to mind. Yeah. Can yeah. sports be used for character formation, even with kids, Kelly, like, like little kid, you know, I don't know if five on up to through middle school and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Soccer, little league, that kind of thing. mm -hmm. Are these things that they can use as well? Well, I think in some ways it's different because they're as a five-year-old or a six-year-old, your perception of what's happening and why is very um, limited. Um, And, um, but, but is there, um, but is there lessons to be learned in character development there? Yes, 100%. Um, you know, think of, uh, you know, just young, young athletes needing to learn self-control, needing to learn how to control their feelings. You no, know, athletes some. <laughs> yeah, yes, true. Names, uh, yeah. Mental and emotional fortitude. I can think of when I used to coach uh, U6 soccer. So I started coaching soccer because my kids were playing soccer. So um um, I was coaching a team. Uh, I think it was my son Leo's team. And, um, there was a little guy on the team named Anthony and, um, 
You know, it's so interesting how maturity plays such a role in a young athlete's life. So some of my kids at five years old were just ready to play and fiercely competitive. Other of my children were like here for the social experience and, <laughs> you know, talking to their friends. And it just depends. Every kid kind of grows and develops um, at, at a different pace. And I would just encourage parents out there with young children, be patient and let your children figure it out. Don't push them too hard. Cause if you push them too hard, I think that can have uh, the opposite effect of what you're looking for. So, um, so on Leo's team, there's this little guy, Anthony, and uh, he would get frustrated and uh, there were more than a few times where he literally ran off the soccer field into the woods. <laughs> so I would chase him and catch him, carry him back onto the field. And I just had to find ways to motivate him where he was at right then. And uh, one of one of Anthony, Anthony's favorite things was fruit roll-ups. So I would say, Anthony, you know, if you can kick the ball X number of times, whatever our goal was for that day, I'm going to give you a fruit roll up after the game. And, you know, it sounds kind of funny. It makes me think of the, the comedy skit where the guy is saying, you know, uh, whole game, whole snow cone. Yeah. Yeah. Brian game, Brian half game, whole yeah. snow cone, so you know, funny. like what is, what is our motivation when Absolutely. we're little, our motivation's different, but, um, but the lessons are still there to be learned. And so he was learning emotional control and how to handle his disappointment. And, um, and then I think that, as you grow older, then you look back at those times and you're still learning from those lessons. They are still a big part of, of uh, your formation. And then I think as we get older, we look back even, even now for me, you know, at 57, I look back at, at some of the things I learned as an athlete and in high school or in college, and I can still learn from those experiences now. And there's still a part of my ongoing formation now. And so, um, so I think that for young children, uh, their experience is different specifically because of their level of maturity. And, um, and then I think obviously that evolves and the potential grows or, um, becomes, uh, uh, the potential in different areas of your life based on, uh, your growth and maturity. That's a really good point. Like even just with talking about the fruit roll up, right. And the, it, yeah, part of that is self-control and just how to handle disappointment, but also part of it is delaying gratification, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm not really happy about what's going on right now, but can I wait and focus, you know, keep my head in the game, so to speak. Yeah. Because I'll be gratified in 20 minutes by my fruit roll up, you know? So it's that mm -hmm. delaying gratification and yeah, and yeah. boy, that sure is useful <laughs> really no matter what age. And, and um, emotional fortitude, um, you know, there are plenty of times out on the field or on the court, we just want to cry or we want to punch somebody or we want to, you know, swear or whatever, whatever our inclination is. And, um, you know, I, I, that was a big topic of conversation uh, as a college volleyball coach, because, you know, honestly, when you watch a volleyball match so often in any two teams that are, are more closely, um, uh, are, are more equal in their ability, or even sometimes when the ability is lopsided, it's the team that has real emotional control, can maintain their focus, can be forward thinking, can be positive can not give in to self-doubt, 
uh, cannot allow themselves to be con- get discouraged or angry, all those things. Those are the teams that have the advantage. And I look back to, you know, definitely some of the more memorable victories that my team had. And sometimes that's the one variable that I would point to. It's that my team was able to stay focused and positive. And I do think that's an area where our faith can guide us if we allow it. So being a faithful athlete, we can really better understand why all that's important and the virtue of just treating our our teammates in a loving, sacrificial way that can help us through those difficult moments. And so sometimes that emotional fortitude, especially in sports like volleyball, where you're touching the ball for a fraction of a second, um, I think that that can be the X factor. And uh, certainly, you know, I've seen plenty of matches where that was the case. It reminds me of the, you know, the poem, if you can keep your head for all those about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, that kind of, it's Mm -hmm. like that, right? Mm. You certainly can think more clear, even just from a biological, neurobiological perspective, you can certainly problem solve better. You can strategize better mm-hmm. when you're not giving into the emotion because the emotions, the, the other hemisphere of the brain and you're kind of, you're now you're just a wash in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Our emotions can, I mean, they can lead us in the wrong direction. They can get us to focus on things that are not important. And um, a student from the university was just saying to me that she was studying about focus and the concept of multitasking tasking. And she said that in her class, they were saying that no one can actually multitask, that you just bounce from one thing to the next. So you actually get good at bouncing and, um, but that you can really only focus on one thing at a time. So as a player, when you allow your emotions to get the best of you, you lose focus as a coach. When I would allow my emotions to get the best of me, I would absolutely lose focus as a college basketball coach. This was, I would say even much harder than volleyball because in basketball, the game is there, there aren't breaks. You don't stop every point and you know, where the gym gets quiet and uh, uh, you know, so, sometimes yelling and screaming or ranting and raving on the sideline can almost go unnoticed because of the pace of the game and how loud the gym may be or something like that. But um, there were times when I had assistant coaches who were very calm and that was really important for me as a head coach. I need to stay calm and I need to stay focused. And there were other times I can remember this one assistant coach in particular where um, that coach would kind of, kind of like whine and complain about what was called or what wasn't called or what was happening. And finally, I just had to turn to them and say, please, please, please be positive. I need you. I need you to help me stay focused. And, um, and that, that coach did. And, uh, you know, we were able to kind of make that change and, and help each other. But, um, but focus is very precarious and very important part of performance and if we lose our focus and don't maintain our emotional control, um, we're, we're not going to be very successful. Emotions are also take a tremendous amount of energy. And I just think if you're not harnessing that energy and directing it into your action mm-hmm. in the game and mm-hmm. you're losing it because it's coming out of your ears in smoke or, you know, whatever as you're bursting into flames, you're mm-hmm. losing it you're losing energy in that way. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. As a coach, a lot of times you're managing people's emotions. Like um, if I had a player who made a couple errors in a row, I may take them out of the game. And um, oftentimes, particularly if they were a younger player and didn't know me very well, they'd be afraid like it's a punishment. And I spent a lot of time trying to help my players understand 
I'm not punishing you. If you're working hard, if you are uh, communicating, if you're focused, uh, you know, sometimes we just commit errors and sometimes we just need a break on the sideline to kind of collect ourselves and then go back in uh, with kind of a renewed energy and focus and perspective. And so um, a lot of times it wasn't just my emotions I was managing. It was the players on my team. I had this one player in particular, when I would take her out of the game, her name was Christina. And uh, when I would take her out of the game, she was so intense and passionate and wanted to be back on the court. She would come out. And as she was walking by me, I would say, get a drink and let me know when you're ready to get back in. Like, like, I'm not going to say, go sit down at the end of the bench. I don't want to see you. You know, uh, I just want her to collect herself. And literally she would take one or two steps past me. And before she even got a drink, she'd turn around and say, okay, coach, I'm ready to go back in. <laughs> and I'd say, no, get a drink of water and just take a minute. And so, um, so there's a lot of managing emotions as a player and a coach. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. I can relate to the not wanting to be on the sidelines. Yep. Um, number three, if so, are the, if it's true that, that you can do faith formation, character formation, even with kiddos, are the lessons different depending on the ages of the athletes? Yeah. 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 Very different. I, I touched on that a little bit. Yeah. And I would say that, um, that, um, the lessons, uh, it's kind of like they're the mood. You, maybe would it be accurate to say they're the same in, in type, but they're different in degree maybe. Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then, um, when you see young athletes, uh, making progress, um, in the ways that are the more challenging ways, it's, it's so gratifying. And that makes me think of, um, kind of a, a mom moment. Uh, my son, Leo, when he was playing an upwards basketball, uh, he was a pretty good player. Uh, and, uh, he, I mean, this is like fifth grade or something. He's pretty young. And I loved upwards because they would work really hard to balance the teams and try and make all the teams competitive. So, uh, Leo was a pretty good player. And, um, so sometimes he would have some of the weaker players or less experienced players on his team. And we would talk to him a lot about, um, trying to help everybody get involved, trying to help everybody score points, you know, trying to, um, lift all the ships, you know, and, um, at the end of those upwards seasons, they would have this award ceremony and, uh, upwards is a, is a, uh, Christian organization, really beautiful organization of, uh, uh, sports, uh, sports opportunities for young kids. And, um, Leo, uh, at the, at the award ceremony that year got the white star award and, um, one boy and one girl each year got the white star award. And that award was for exemplifying Christian character and virtue in, in their play. And, um, it just, I just felt so proud because that's kind of a lesson that we tend to learn as we get a little older, but he, I think had the opportunity to learn it because he saw that when he was selfless and, you know, maybe passed the ball when he could have been shooting, um, and, and really celebrate those other team members successes, you know, that he grew through those situations. And, um, 
And I just thought it was beautiful too, that that organization would reward yeah, uh, players for those kinds of things. So, um, so I'm going to throw a ringer of a question in there that I didn't prepare you for. Alrighty. Alrighty. In the age of participation trophies, what is your opinion of participation trophies? <laughs> um, I think you know the answer to this question, but <laughs> I know my opinion. Um, so I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for many, many years, I coached these junior high volleyball camps with my dear friends, Dawn and June. And uh, June passed away from cancer uh, some years ago. Uh, she was just such a delightful person, uh, so kind-hearted, really good coach, great mom, uh, a great friend. And when we would be um, deciding on the awards for our camps, you know, she would kind of have that perspective, like, can't we just give everyone an award? <laughs> and you know, I would say, no, not everyone deserves an award. And I think one of the lessons that our young people have to learn is that you get what you deserve. I would say that so often to my volleyball team at Franciscan or any of my teams at Franciscan, I would say, I love you all. And doesn't matter how much I love you, you are going to get the opportunity that you deserve. And, um, you know, certainly that applies a little differently um, to each level, like upwards, everybody played, we wanted everybody to get opportunities. Uh, junior high, you know, obviously, if people are come to practice and paying attention, doing what their coach says, everybody should get an opportunity. Then JV, it's a little different Then varsity high school, it's a little different. And then college, it's different still. But, um, but there's no participation trophies, because sometimes that would imply that your participation is just all generic. And that would not inspire anyone to strive. And, you know, we have to help um, our young people go from being extrinsically motivated, like I'm the coach, I say to do it, therefore you will do it, to saying, I'm going to do this because it's the right thing to do. And that's kind of the essence of adulting. So the part the participation trophy just um, uh, mutes that whole experience. And so um, that, that makes me think of, uh, again, this volleyball player, Christina, her freshman year, she started as an outside hitter. And um, there was a senior on the team named Christine. And um, uh, she didn't play very much. And so we were coming up to senior night and the freshman outside hitter said, hey, my cousin was going to come to the match, but um, if I'm not going to play, you know, just tell me, uh, you know, I, I'll just have him come to a different match. I just wanted to check with you. Um, and I looked at her, I said, why wouldn't you play? And she said, well, it's, it's senior night. I mean, I would expect Christine to be, to play and to start because she's the senior, right? And I said, well does she normally start or play? And Christina said, not, not very much. And I said, well, uh, we have a conference match tonight and we are playing to win. So I said, I can guarantee you that that senior understands unequivocally her role on the team and, and that you will be starting and that nothing about our playing time will change based on a senior and senior night. And I don't want to sound cold hearted, like, like I didn't 
have tremendous respect for her role on the team, for her leadership, uh, for her contribution. Of course I did, but she knew that she didn't deserve to start or play beyond what was, you know, common and typical that season. The beautiful thing is we played that match. Um, uh, we won the first game of the match very, very close. And then the second game and third games were a little lopsided. So I was able to get her in and she was able to get significant playing time on her senior night. And that was a gift that her teammates gave her. Oh, that's you know, cool. they played well enough so that she could have that experience. And, um, you know, I, and, and that comes down to expectation too. If I didn't talk about those things with, with that senior well in advance, that might've been a really difficult and very misunderstood moment for her. But instead, when I called her name and she went in the game, she was ready and fired up and, and appreciating that opportunity. That's so awesome. That's so wonderful. Mm -hmm. There's so much, there's so much in sports. There's so much. I just, I love it. It's just a, it's a microcosm of life and it just puts us to the, to the test in all of these different areas in such a short amount of, you know, an hour or, or however long a, a match or a game is. And so mm -hmm. I think it gives us a chance to be very intentional in a way that, um, we, in life, it can kind of get muddled because we get tired or, you know, or we kind of, can kind of, uh, we can just forget because as the day goes along, you know, we can wake up and be very intentional about how we're going to live the day in a, in a very good and true way. And then it just kind of gets muddled as things go along, but it kind of, I love sports because it, it keeps our attention, like kind of riveted on, on being in that space. And so. Yeah. So Kelly, I'm going to, we're going to table the rest of this for, um, for our next conversation. Just thank you so much for joining me again for our listeners. Thank you so much um, for joining us and invite you back next week as well, where Kelly will be with us again. And we'll be talking uh, more about uh, specifics of, of coaching and how to go about that and give you some practical things to apply if you're in the position of coaching and being able to do this with young people yourself at this point. If you want to get connected with Kelly, um, she does speaking and um, and would be happy to do that. If you can, you can email me at Margaret at sacredhearthealingministries.com or just go to my website, Sacred Heart Healing Ministries. And there's a contact form, just get in touch with me and I'll put you in touch with Kelly and, um, or her direct email address is K Herman, H-E-R-R-M-A-N-N. I am at outlook.com and um, she'd love to come speak to, to your, at your event. If you want to be connected to me, books on Amazon, more than words, the freedom to thrive after trauma or fearless abundant life through infinite love. And especially happy about now doing parish identity formation and healing missions. We just had one this past weekend and it, was, um, it just went super well. I'm super excited to do that and love to come do that in your parish also doing health, um, healing, wellness, and relationship coaching. So thank you again for joining us and um, take a listen to last podcast we did with Kelly if you haven't heard it already and join us next time for more on faith formation through coaching. Thank you so much, Kelly. My pleasure, Margaret. Thank you for joining me for today's show. Please subscribe and share and check us out on wholenessandholiness.com. Follow and like us on social media 
And to learn more about Sacred Heart Healing Ministries, please go to sacredhearthealingministries.com.